0: Welcome to Portrait of an Editor. I am Francis Lombard. Not only do Dwayne Swarzynski and Sandy King talk about Dwayne's Civilians, which is the newest entry to the monthly anthology series, John Carpenter's Tales of Science Fiction, they also discuss how their working relationship has evolved over projects, and the insight into humanity that's needed to make science fiction work. A reminder, I've been conducting interviews since 2017, and you can find the earlier ones on the Portrait of an Editor Patreon page. It's just a buck a month to join. Now here's my conversation with Dwayne and Sandy regarding civilians. Enjoy. Dwayne and Sandy, welcome to Portrait of an Editor. Thank you for coming on. Let's talk about civilians, uh, which when I was looking through and last night doing some research getting ready for this that issue three just came out so when you're listening to this all three issues are available let's just get sort of the stats done is will there be a trade and when will that be coming out
1: there yeah, will be simple. a trade and i've totally forgotten when it comes out uh, i know it's in time for
2: comic-con right i mean right. that's Sean told me yeah so yeah. july
1: that's what we timed it for you know we try and make the trades come out around the time of one of the major conventions so that uh, I can get the writers and artists at the conventions and the fans get a chance to meet them and get books signed and that kind of thing.
2: Sandy actually changed us to a table. It's really weird. I'm not sure why she insists on that. So we don't wander <laughs> off. It's like, it's you go to a party, yanks us back. It's crazy. No, it's, <laughs> I can't.
1: Uh, and, you know, the cattle prod works.
2: Not there yet always, <laughs> always only electric i like that
0: that's my my favorite and give us a, a either one of you give us the like my listeners the lowdown on what the miniseries is about because tales of science fiction has been running for a while and it's a it's an interesting take on anthology i like that how it's not a combination of short stories but a run of stories of the, the various length the various issues uh, where does civilian sit on this and, and where what is it all about. Sandy, should I take this one or do you want to take this, Sandy?
1: (laughs) Well, the overall thing about Tales of Science Fiction is that each of the writers determines how many issues they need to tell their tale Uh so that we have a monthly uh, uh, release of floppies, but it only runs as long as they need to tell their story. And then we, we finish those up with a trade. And I think Dwayne's the best to tell the story of civilians because... Yeah, uh, he in particular always has an interesting uh understory to the story.
2: Interesting. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it's funny, I, I do love the uh the imprint, you know, because people know of John Carpenter as, you know, a horror guy, right? That's the the but there's um to me he's more of a science fiction guy. Honestly, a lot of this in movies I mean they live and the thing and even back to Dark Star, it's like it's really that's kind of like, I think, equally in, in in the bloodstream there. So I kind of love that, you know, this is an opportunity to sort of showcase different kinds of ideas. And Civilians, you know, it kind of came about, I think, um, Sandy and Sean, and Sean's, you know, Sub-Zach is our, uh, Sandy's, you know, right-hand man, editor. Um, uh, I said, hey, what do you give me ideas for, you know, a kind of a, a shorter run on something? And I thought, well, I have this crazy idea. And um, I don't want to spoil it because it, it can be spoiled if I go too far. But the setup basically is, uh, it's set in L.A. and one day 12 people on the Santa Monica you know, beach stand up and walk into the ocean in, in unison and people think, wow, it's a viral stunt. This is weird. They're not it's not a stunt. They're doing it for real. and They're dead. <laughs> they're floating around dead and uh, similar things happen across the city. And uh, it kind of uh, it comes to uh, the attention of either people impacted by these things or. Know, uh, friends, they kind of this weird motley crew of three people gather to sort of figure out the mystery of what's going on. If the world knows, it kind of thinks everyone has a different take on what's going on, but it's up to our three heroes to determine what's actually happening on the ground, you know. And I I mean, the inspiration honestly was I started writing this during the first part of the pandemic when the world seemed to be going haywire. (laughs) I kind of want to figure out what the hell is actually going on. And it was a way of doing that in a fictional space that I thought was interesting, you know, and I'm glad. Sandy and Sean went for it.
1: The biggest thing in how I choose um, stories, whether they're the short stories from the horror anthology or the bigger, the bigger books, is I think that science fiction and horror are um, great for allegorical um, storytelling. That they're o- The best are always about something else in an entertaining format. And um, Dwayne in particular is incredible at that. Um, Thank you. You know, I have other writers who just go for the throat and, and um, dig the graves and pull up the bodies. But, um, you know, I, I am most intrigued by commentaries on um, ourselves and society and, you know, that's my bent. And I think that's something that kind of identifies us. if somebody says what's an identifying characteristic of storm King comics, we're telling stories about other things.
0: And that was one thing because Dwayne, I read severance package a long time ago and it just occurred to me when I was reading the first two issues of this, I was like, you know, the the idea of losing identity or who you really are, because of what I remember from reading severance packages is, is that that is back here again? And also, you had written Bloodshot for a little while, right. and that character is a character who's searching for himself, an identity. And social media and tech allow us to create. And today, we're and we're getting further and further into it. Is about creating new identities or right. changing our fine tuning our identities or presenting things differently. Who are we? I think it was at the back of issue two talk, you know, you guys reference the talking heads, you know, once in a lifetime, how did I get here? You know, how did who, you're not, who, you know, how did I get this, my beautiful wife and everything. So it just you know, feels like Sandy, did you notice, have you noticed that this, I don't know, or Dwayne, a continuing theme or, or maybe is this something you come back to or are trying to work out? Your We're work? All
1: trying to work those things out. Yeah. And I think that's why those, those stories have a timelessness and a resonance um it's why i consider that we're writing for adults because um how many people are still looking in the mirror how many people are still acting based on who they are and i think that one of the essences of john carpenter movies is who are you
0: well yeah the, the thing you know?
1: <laughs> the, the things they live they live um, all of those th- Those movies really, at their core, go down to who are you? And I think that nowadays, more than ever, where people seem to be hiding behind a lot of skins, these are stories that I think are important and important in asking ourselves those questions while at the same time uh, being taken on a pretty good ride. At the end of the day, you're still going to be a little haunted by those questions.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I do a, a sub theme my work. It tends to be take a character and determine who they are, easy to throw them in the pot of boiling water. <laughs> I think I've had to figure out who they are in these desperate circumstances or circumstances, making them question, Who am I? What am I doing here? Why is this happening to me? Like that, you know, the, to me, genre fiction is full of that. And I love that, be it horror or science fiction. It's always, you know, usually the uh, something really extraordinary intrudes on the ordinary. And it's just like you watch the person transform, either they survive it or they don't. And if they survive it, they usually come out of it like, oh, either I better understand myself or people around me better than I thought I did, you know, or I'm totally broken by it and I'm, I'm insane now. <laughs> that's, that's also a possibility. But that's the fun of, you know, that kind of character work um, in a genre.
1: Well, and I, and I think there's lots of, you know, whether you go from Edgar Allan Poe, you know, who's okay. driven insane each story, um, or, you know, to us where we hopefully dig under the skin and figure out who the other guy is as well
0: yeah yeah for sure you feel that part of like that what we're talking about helps bring a human connection because like the greatest you know sci-fi when it works or you know horror when it works is really um has a human connection there's you know really that there's something underneath in just the scares or the, the fanciness in, in science fiction, that this search for self that you, you're exploring in civilians and other stuff that's been explored, that is, allows you to deeper connection with your audience.
2: For sure. I mean, I, and every time I start the process of any kind of comic or any kind of work, really, but it's about, I'm thinking of civilians and I was, you know, This process basically is I'll pitch Sandy and Sean a short form idea. Hey, how about this? And just a few lines. And they think, okay, that's, you know, let's you go with it. I'll do a longer outline. And my first step, honestly, is the character part. Like, who are these people? Who's the best person to throw into the situation? Who are they? What do they want? And what happens in the story to prevent them from getting that? You know, what sort of slams in their face and makes them, you have to figure out something, some other, other path and it's usually, you know, sometimes it's sadness, it's sort of grief, it's, sometimes it's a loss, sometimes it's, you know, uh peril, immediate danger. But that, that to me, is, it's always character basic. I mean, the the gimmick, the plot, the the high concept, if you will, that's always fun, but you need people to be part of that. Otherwise, it goes nowhere. So I think that's always, it's, it's, to me, it's fundamental. I can't, I don't know how I'd do it without it, you know, that kind of that step of like who these people are and kind of caring for them.
1: Well, I don't think you bond with an audience unless they bond with your your protagonist in some way. And so that's through a universal truth of some kind. I mean, that's why I always think there's a a big uh, connection between comedy and horror. If you don't care, you don't either laugh or scream Mm -hmm. or care about what's happening to that lead character.
0: Mm -hmm. So true. And just how you introduce characters in the civilian where, you know, the first voice we hear is somebody sort of, struggling against his own body, you know, doing things he doesn't want to do. And of course, you know, uh, who hasn't, you know, uh, that's a mainstay of horror of just losing control. And that's something I think we all being mortal beings worry about that, especially the longer we're alive of like, wh- what's, what's coming down the pike for me? How do we, you know, get used to it or, you know, or deal with it when we we have that struggle. So there's yeah, that. Mean-
2: one of my greatest fears is I'm I'm afraid of heights, but in a very odd way. Like I'm not afraid of if I'm up in a 90th floor of a skyscraper, I'm fine. Yeah, if I'm on my balcony four floors up and it's open and I could possibly jump, that terrifies me because I'm afraid at some level I'll lose my mind. Like just for three seconds, not long. Mm-hmm. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. That'll be over. You know. So I'm afraid of that. Like that fear of like that temporary loss of self or like what you know that that safeguard where you're driving the, the freeway the 405 and go. I don't know if I have your left, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it probably <laughs> or go last, too fast. Yeah, yeah.
0: Like, you know,
2: that, that kind of thing terrifies me more than like the speeding traffic and everything else, you know, freeway shooters, whatever. I'm afraid of my own self, uh, loss of control or self. Just <laughs> and of it, and it, you're it, not it, afraid
1: it. on the 90th floor of that, just the fourth <laughs> floor. The fourth exactly,
2: floor. yeah. I mean, if the 90th floor is open, I'd be a basket case. No way. But, oh. you know. <laughs>
0: Just high enough to cause some damage, right? Exactly. <laughs> just, just that the, the impulse control. I mean, that's yeah. really what civilians, you know, the opening deals with, like, this out-of-control impulse control for these 12 individuals. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah. And also, you know, honestly, the deeper thing for me, was, really, was I was trying to get across was just, it's, it's no surprise. So this statement sounds obvious, so bear with me, but, like, how awful people can be to other people and how that has no bottom. It feels like it has no bottom sometimes. So, like, the summer of 2020, it was a pandemic. We had protests all over how we're treating each other. That's what it was fundamentally, how we treat each other as human beings. And it went so wrong. <laughs> it just, we, I think we had a lot of us had the wrong answer about that. Like it should be obvious, you'd be kind, but it felt really out of, out of control. And to me, I wanted to capture that in a way that was in a fictional setting that was like, oh, if you see that science fiction, it's understandable, but this is our world for real. You know, we really have, sadly, a lot of people who don't think about other people. Uh, and that bothers it's me so bother me yeah it's painful, yeah
1: it's worse now. Yeah. I thought everybody kind of have a wake up call yeah you know, we're watching genocide in Ukraine and uh us killing ourselves with stupid decisions during during a pandemic. Nobody seems to be getting the message,
0: yeah. So true. Yeah.
1: But we've got material for a long time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and there's the, the, the other things, the, what we're doing to our planet, you know, because we're not going to be able to get on a spaceship and go somewhere else. You know, yeah. there's, there's that one still lurking out there, you know, so, but yeah. the change gears a little and see we're getting cl- running run, uh, running long. I was wondering about your relationship as writer editor at mm-hmm. um, you've worked together on a number of things uh, how how has it evolved I mean both of you have been in been, been creative for and professional creative at, at a certain you know a high level but still there's a getting used to point at the beginning and then where are things how did how has it evolved up to today
1: well only an idiot messes with someone <laughs> who's as good as Dwayne. Yeah, <laughs> you know. yeah, um
0: i was like looking at this question i'm like is this something worth even asking but no there's an evolution cool. in it, no matter what level it is you know great question
1: my job in editing uh, you know my first job is picking really great people who who i think bring great stuff to the party and then my next job is get out of the way um you know if i see something where i go did you intend this in anybody's story Mm -hmm. where I see something that looks like a a fork in the road or where I'm unclear where they're going and it doesn't get clearer as we go, as they make revisions or the art comes in and we see, then I may mention something, but I feel when you've got writers, the stature of of Dwayne and, and Kellen Patrick Burke and, David J. Scow and, and some of these guys. I think that the smart person stands back and lets them do their work. Um, and then you get great stuff.
2: So the, the freedom is wonderful. I, I, I do have to say, though, I, I spent my first couple of years working with Sandy a little terrified. <laughs> so I just, you know, just more like, you know, I don't want to mess up. And I, I remember vividly, it was, I, we had a meeting for something else. And yeah. I think he said something like, I can't believe you actually talk because I, I met you was with uh, David Scal. Scow. David Scal, Scow, well, um, writers. He <laughs> <doesn't> <laughs> what was that, Sandy?
1: <laughs> shut up!
2: Exactly, exactly. Um, but it was David Scal introduced us, and it, it was the very first volume of the uh, Tales for a Halloween Night was about to you know come out. So I pitched the story, and I was thrilled that you know I, my pitch worked uh, for Sandy. But it was quite a while before I felt comfortable to say, okay. Part of it was you know. Sandy's reputation, just the whole, I was impressed. Uh, but also the idea that the freedom was new to me, because I've worked for a bunch of comic companies and it was never that that much freedom was always never really a, a possibility. Because, you know, the big two, I worked for Marvel and DC and, you know, cool places of work, but it's very much, you got to work in their sandbox. You really can't, you know, venture out of that very far. This was the opposite, it was like, you know, make up your own sandbox, make up your own sand, you know, just just do a good job, just tell a good story. And that's what matters. And that was such a refreshing thing, you know, honestly. Um, because I kind of love that, you know, the only constraints really, I think, Sandy, it was like, make it good, make it scarier or thought provoking, but also make it like 13 pages or whatever (laughs) the the, the, the page is constraints. And, you know, comics are all about a certain number of boxes on a certain number of pages. What can you tell a story in that constraint? So I, it's, it's been wonderful. I mean, I, I, my best, honestly, my best, I'm not just blowing smoke because Sandy's here looking at me, but, you know, uh, it's, it's the best experience I've had in comics in my career. So it's wonderful.
1: You know, I had, it was interesting because I did a couple of years of research into the art and the business of making comics before we launched one. And everything I'd heard about how they were put together at the major houses just seemed antithetical me to creating new and different art and so my approach is more how we make movies which Mm -hmm. is it's teamwork and so the first thing I do is put the writer together with an artist and have everybody you know have contact with each other from the get-go talk to each other from the get-go Exchange yeah. ideas from the get-go so that nobody's really out on a limb alone wondering what happened to their story or
0: Absolutely. wondering
1: where their art's going. And so that every, everybody edits together, yeah. everybody proofreads together, and um, I think you get stronger stories and stronger art that way.
2: Absolutely, it's that's one thing. The biggest other half of what we do is the artist, obviously, you know. And yeah. I'm writing to please Sandy and Sean, but also the artist. You know that that to me is super important. Like, okay, will they have fun drawing this stuff? Are they jazzed by it? Are they inspired by it? that? That really is because as uh, much as writers love to think they're they're, they're they're the be all end all, they're not. The artists are the rock stars in the comics world. Writers are important, I, I, you know. I, but artists, really, if the artist isn't really engaged and loving it, it won't be as successful as it could be. You just you just you know coming out of the gate. You know.
1: You're both different different sides of the coin of the storytelling. And
2: yeah. if you're
1: not vibing, well, then we just go, okay, this isn't really gelling. Let's figure something else out. Right. You know, you're a great artist, but this isn't happening here, and it's not pushing the story forward. Yeah. And I've changed teams that, that weren't hitting it. And fortunately, I think that each teaming we've made for you works. Yes. And um, and when we have somebody we've liked with you in the past, and then we go, but this story isn't really their kind of storytelling. Let's try this. Right. Um, you know, that's where I come in, where I kind of think, you know, let's get a different cinematographer. Let's do a different, you know, kind of vibe for this because it's got a different feel to it.
2: Yeah, a lot of the important work you do, Sandy, it, to me seems like it's all, you know, invisible, but it's so important because you're you're putting that team together. It's like you, you can have a, you're putting that Mission Impossible team, and if that doesn't work, then, then nothing will happen, you know. Right. So you're not really, you know, as far as my experience, you're not really line editing. Some editors, you know, are really tough on, like, line editing and kind of, like, Minutia, but that's not important, really. You know, what really is important is the does the whole thing work as a whole. You know, you can always tweak things, always fix things. We do. We all we all do that. We all comment on each other's stuff and try to figure it out. But the most important thing is that kind of culture you create. That's that's what feels great about you know.
1: That's what I hope. You know, if if one of you guys gets COVID or you know is sick or has something go on while we're doing your book, then I'll say, are you feeling okay? Because something's not quite right here yeah shall we just wait on this yeah well, wait you know, so you pretty uh, much know your guys styles uh, yeah.
0: uh, and when you're editing and especially in the middle of a book are you reaching out to folks if you don't hear from them i mean you obviously oh, yeah. it sounds like you you've observed people you understand sort of their tics so when you put a crew together a team together you're you understand, do I need to reach out to him every week? And and then if he gets quiet or like, oh, wait a minute, you're not waiting, you're being proactive and engaging with your craters?
1: Yeah, you know, I pretty much know their pace and know, mm-hmm. know when they've gone to ground.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yep. Less deadline pressure. I think I, I feel relaxed enough to say, hey, I'm not feeling it right now. I need a little more time with this. I've never had a problem where other companies, they're not as forgiving or understanding because their schedules, and they have to, you know, I don't feel like there's a hard, hard schedule to hit. You know, it's, it's when it's right, it goes out, not necessarily, you know, when it has right. to go out.
1: And we just, the only time, you know, that we'll, we'll sit there and go, okay, guys, you know, we committed to this release date, who's having trouble? Yeah. But generally, we don't schedule that release date till we've got everything pretty much in and we know we're we're heading towards the barn yeah. <laughs> because come on we're not neurosurgeon the patient is going to die on the table if, if we have to go okay let's schedule this for next year yeah and uh let everybody breathe a sigh of relief and sort out what's happening
0: do you feel Dwayne at times you do need some
2: pressure Honestly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in, in general, I mean, I kind of feel like it's a different situation with, uh, with standing, standing in storm King, but it's sort of, a, I'm, I, I'm a guy, I'm a former journalist. I need a deadline. I kind of need to know it's actually a real thing at some point, you know, that I have to hit for that helps me schedule my, you know, because I, I, I juggle a few things at once, um, usually. So yeah, that does help. Um, what I, didn't like of other other experiences were sometimes you know certain comics companies i won't mention who but like they'll turn to ma- manage your time for you and i just kind of hate that you know I kind of let me do my thing let me tell you when i can do it just give me like a a date to hit and i'll make my own kind of like, you know road to that to that deadline um so that's that's but that's again not a problem here which is nice
1: yeah we 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 basically go okay we'd like to aim for you know you have to you have to solicit eight months out on a book yeah. so we'll say okay does it how's it sounding to you guys if we plan this book for next fall okay that means yeah. we're going to be soliciting this far ahead da, da, da. Is that reasonable to everybody you know yeah. and get yays and nays and that kind of stuff and go, okay think about it we're going to check with you again figure out your schedules And then, you know, we have the overall plan. We have the, we're getting close plan. We're having the, we're about to solicit. How's everybody doing? How we're all doing, yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So one last question. So what are, if you, hopefully you can talk about a bit or hint at it. What do the two of you have planned next in working together?
1: Well, I'm always listening for, for what Dwayne's next wish list is for his longer work, uh-huh. and then I'm, I'm already bringing in uh, ideas for next year's uh, Tales for a Halloween Night, um, because yeah. it just isn't the same unless we have a Swazinski story. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm very proud. I've been in every, so far, I just turned in a, few, a little while ago the, for the, Volume 8, my story. I'm very proud. I think, I said, honestly, seriously proud of being in every a volume so far. So I'm hoping not to screw up next year and <laughs> have a good idea for next year. Um, but no, and it's again, it's, it's also great fun because those, the, the short stories are usually, they're usually between 11 and 13 pages. And that's not short, short. That's not, not an afterthought. You know, that's more of a. I'm actually, it's harder for me to do that kind of shorter form than it is a longer series. So I have more time it's to. Rough. I mean, it's yeah it's kind of can be rough and i had a weird and ambitious one this year i pitched that i mean i pitched like sandy two or three ideas and i had the, the two other two were ringers i I knew the one i wanted to do yeah he knew the one i wanted to do so she can tell can tell right away and she's like do that one so yeah. it's a non-tradition i won't say too much except it involves organized crime and death and grief uh and and yeah. my I actually and also kind of a <laughs> a possible supernatural experience I had, which I don't say lightly. I don't really have those. I'm not a sensitive person seeing ghosts, but this creeped me out when I, you know, it happened to me. So I, I had to write about it. And I thought that Sandy and the anthology was the perfect place to tell this story.
1: It's hard, man. You know, it's, it's <laughs> that number of pages where you sit there going, oh man, I suck. This isn't scary at all. You, know, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you feel like you're just in the setup. Yeah. And then you have to say, and then they die. No, that doesn't work. Then you go back and you're trying to get either suspense or fear into that number of pages and pay it off is a nightmare. Yeah, It's also what's fun because it's this challenge. It's a personal gauntlet you throw down to yourself.
2: Absolutely, You know, it does not feel, every year does not feel like by rote. It's like, okay, this year, God, I got to somehow impress Sandy, top it, and <laughs> try to figure out what to do. And it's, it's a lot of pressure, but in a good way. I mean, it forces me out of my, you know, usual safety corners of like, you know, I'll just yeah. do this and this, but no, it's never, never the same thing, so.
1: Yeah, and see, I have to impress the man across the living room. <laughs> and, and I always know when he goes, oh, that's nice, honey, that I've completely failed.
0: Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Death by compliment. So. I forgot to yeah. talk audience.
1: <laughs> oh man, I suck. So yeah. <laughs> you know.
0: it, yep. it because of your relationship, your long working relationship. When you feel stuck, are you willing to send a, a rough draft? Did you feel, you know, just to see if you, a suggestions can get you over that hump? You know, work it out instead of struggling it with with it by yourself. Yeah, I mean, if I I, I felt very much welcome to do that if
2: I need to. But usually what I submit, it's not a rough draft, but it's like, it's my best shot. I kind of want to give my best possible shot. Because usually when I'm stuck on something, I know what's wrong and I kind of figure out, how I know how to fix it. I don't want to torture somebody yeah. else with it. Not, you know, but I think I want any help is with the things I don't see. Like when it's finished, I think it's perfect when someone says, "Ah, oh, you missed this part. ah, oh, you're right. Because you know what? You saw that I didn't. That's what I need an editor for, my yeah. blind spots as a writer.
1: I, I think that's what we all need the other set of eyes for. And that's how Sean and I work together, which is, you know, we go through it. I mean, we do the same thing on proofing where we go through it and go through it and go, how did I not see that? Yeah. You know, (laughs) you you see what you expect to see. So true. And you do the same thing with your own work where you see what you was in your head, not necessarily what you managed to write down.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I always wish there was a switch we could turn off on that just so I could see it with fresh eyes because after yeah. the first time, you're like, now you know, I'm my brain's putting in the putting into that what I want it there. And it, you know, yeah. there's that chance of missing things all the time.
2: That show Severance, I wish there was a, switch, a, a, a switching and flip and it's like you turn off your memory of having written it and see it cold, you know, <laughs> and yeah. then all of a sudden, oh, it'd be a brutal editor, it'd be great, but I, we don't have that power, so we, we need editors, editors, so that's a good thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and Sean and I spend so much time passing things back and forth, and the more he got familiar with comics, he found, you know, coming from the other side of, of my work life, he just started getting more and more and digging more and more yeah. in comics. And he just went, you know, suddenly was coming into his own with that. Yeah. And he has real good judgment.
2: He sure does. I feel in really great hands with Sean as far as he'll, and I, I know if I miss something, either you or Sean will catch it. I mean, that, that's, wow. you know, it's having a good like acrobatic team. I'm not going like, to go splat on the ground if, like, you know, <laughs> thanks, we thanks you guys reaching won't out won't your let hands.
1: Turn into a splatter pup. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, right. we won't do it.
2: smack <laughs> smacko, yeah.
1: We try and get everything in and enough time to really look at it, put it down, both come back and go, yeah. all right, once more with feeling. How do you <laughs> look? You know, are the balloons in the right place? Are they tracking?
0: <laughs> so true. Thank you very much. Uh, I will let you guys go uh, for your weekend. And enjoy the, what you have left of your Friday <laughs> and your weekend. I really appreciate it. Civilians was a, a great read and also look forward to the ha- the Halloween anthology tales for Halloween, Halloween yeah. night that um, in my research, I'm like, how did I miss this? But um, it sounds like I got some more reading to do. So oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sarah. It was Thank awesome. You. Thank you.
1: <laughs> have a good weekend.